1: To find out more about our fundraiser, visit FindingGeniusFoundation.org and click on Current Initiatives. And now, to our guest. Hello, this is Richard Jacobs with the Finding Genius Podcast, now part of the Finding Genius Foundation. Our returning guest, Dr. Richard Allen White III. Uh, he's an assistant professor at University of North Carolina in Charlotte, and I'm having him here to talk about uh, the cancer book, specifically um, cancers caused by viruses. So, Rich, thanks for coming back.
2: Oh, it's always a pleasure to be here on the podcast. Again, these are my own personal thoughts. They do not expressively, they're not the views of North Carolina and Charlotte. As well, I'm also the founder, chairman, and CEO of Raw Molecular Systems, Inc. here in uh, Concord, North Carolina. But these are my own personal thoughts and general thoughts on oncoviruses, the viruses that cause
1: cancer. Yeah, thanks for the clarification.
2: I've interviewed a whole
1: bunch of people on cancer. It seems pretty rare that people have any more than like a superficial knowledge of viral cause cancers. It sounds like you have more knowledge of it. So what are some of the common ones that, you know, people have encountered and then I want to get into the mechanisms and all that. But, you know, again, what are some of the the most famous or infamous as you were uh, viral cause cancers?
2: So, I mean, as the, first of all, let's start with kind of this idea that cancer isn't one disease. Cancer is multiple Diseases uh, and viruses, as they do, can potential and this won a Nobel Prize. The uh, in the case of cancer-causing viruses, they're also known as oncoviruses. So these are viruses that are onco, meaning tumor. So these are tumor-causing or cancer-causing viruses, and so there's a litany of them. And it has been estimated that 17% of all human cancers are caused by, are actually, infection. infection caused 17.8% of all human cancers. And then 11.9% of them basically are caused by viruses. And so some of the big heavy hitters that we think about in oncoviruses are Epstein virus. There is also uh, various retroviruses uh, that cause cancers. Uh, one of the first was identified in chickens back in the early 1900s. Uh, there's hep C, which also can cause hepatic cellular carcinoma. And then there's the t, the human t litrophic viruses, so HTLV-1 and HTLV-2. Originally, HIV was called HTLV-3 until it was found later that it uh, causes another disease. It causes AIDS. Uh, the other one that's uh, associated with HIV is herposis sarcoma associated with herpes virus, also known as HHV-8. And when people are in kind of, uh, they have severe autoimmunity, Uh, Issues due to HIV, you see Carposi's sarcoma show up and they cause large blotches all over their body. Uh, Another one that can induce cancer as well is the adenoviruses. And uh, there's just a a litany of viruses that cause it. Uh, We actually use viruses to actually induce and create immortalized cells and cell lines. Another one that actually is common uh, that we have a vaccine for. Are, is the human papillomavirus, papillomavirus 16, can cause cervical cancer, can also is associated with head and neck cancer. And then there's also simian virus 40, can also cause tumors in rodent models, but is not believed to be oncogenic in humans.
1: All right, so two, two big questions here. So you said cancer is many diseases. What does that mean? What are the many?
2: So, I mean, if you look at kind of the statistics there, upwards of 17% are, are potentially triggered by infection. So the idea of cancer overall is a disease of the genome. And that disease of the genome can be triggered by infection or by viruses. So if you have an infection that damages the genome or a virus that inserts itself randomly in the genome and you disrupt the genome, you can cause cancer.
1: Okay. But again, when you say cancer is many different diseases, like what an example of some of the different diseases, all I can think of obviously is tumor and metastases, but... What are some of the other underlying diseases that are going on?
2: You know, what I mean by that is that it, you know, when we think of cancer, we think of it as a kind of a homogenous type of thing. In the case of something like EBB, and if it affects B cells, you can get a thing called Perkins lymphoma. If you have HToV 2 you can get hair, you can get uh, a hairy lymphocytic, I think it's, you can get a hairy uh, lymphoma. So depending on the virus and depending on the damage it causes, it can trigger a certain type of cancer in a particular cell line. So HDLV2, it's not, it's kind of common in neurological conditions and chronic lung infections. People can have it and have no symptoms. However, they can progress to all kinds of other diseases, including hairy cell, uh, hairy cell leukemia.
1: So even within one tissue type, let's say the liver, someone has a, a particular liver cancer, right. you know, the tumors, as I understand, are very heterogeneous in terms of their ability and right. the genetics, et cetera. So is that Another way of saying that because, let's say, tumors and their metastases are so heterogeneous that they cause different
2: diseases within the same person, therefore cancer is a multifaceted disease? It's a multifaceted disease. That's true. The thing with coming from it from a virological perspective is if you get infected with Hep B and you have this long chronic infection, you will get a certain type of liver cancer. If you're infected with Hep C, you'll get a different type of liver cancer. And so, and you get signatures of that. And so, Depending on the virus, the virus will infect a different tissue, how it inserts itself into the genome and how it disrupts the genome or causes damage to the DNA can give us the idea of a new type of cancer, right? So we're not a new type of cancer, but a a, a different cancer type, basically. So
1: So what's the most well-understood cancer caused by viruses?
2: What's the mechanism? EVB is one of the most studied oncoviruses. So this is Epstein-
1: Epstein-Barr Bar. Bar virus. This is sense. Epstein-Barr. And so what's the mechanism there? Let's get into some specifics. If you would.
2: So Epstein-Barr virus, also known as human uh, herpes virus 4. In the case it spreads, uh, you may have heard of it before when you were a child. It causes infectious mononucleosis. It's a double-stranded uh, DNA virus. been associated with uh, lymphoproliferative diseases. Classic one I mentioned earlier. This is this thing called Burkitt's lymphoma. It basically infects the lymphocytes found in the germinal center. And it transforms the cells, so it inserts its DNA into the cell. When it does this, you get this—you get this enlargement of like the throat usually, and it causes lymphoma, which is a, a swelling or a cancer of the, lymph, the the B lymphocytes. And you know, this is just—it's very—it's common. It's not—it can happen. Uh, we assume around uh, about 1,200 individuals a year in the U.S. and the virus associated with about 10% of the cases. Uh, that's just one example. Uh, and there's other, you know, Hodgkin's lymphoma. It's been associated with Hodgkin's and uh, even gastric cancer and even uh, nasopharyngeal cancer.
1: Before we continue, I've been personally funding the Finding Genius podcast for four and a half years now, which has led to 2,700 plus interviews of clinicians, researchers, scientists, CEOs, and other amazing people who are working to advance science and improve our lives and our world. Even though this podcast gets 100,000 plus downloads a month, in order for a virus to cause cancer, it has to insert itself in the genes of the target cells?
2: Not necessarily. Now, okay. you can get uh, commonly, in the case of retroviruses and Epstein-Barr virus, uh, these are herpes viruses. they do insert themselves. But uh, it is also possible that the infection itself can cause DNA damage and damage to DNA repair. When you have damaged DNA repair and you have a constitutive promoter, one of the first kind of mass regulators of this is something like P53. P53 is a master DNA repair thing. If that gets damaged, you get more DNA damage and then more DNA damage causes an increased risk of getting cancer.
1: What happens to the particular target cells in a viral cause cancer? You know, from what I understand, usually viruses would I guess, form virus cells and recruit those cells to make more virions to infect other tissues or infect more of the tissue. But
2: that's correct. It now, seems
1: like the the viral action is, I guess, not aborted, but kind of taken in a different direction by the body. And then a tumor starts growing. Like what, what happens to the viruses as a tumor starts, let's say, do they, oh, this is a good question. Are, they are they found in the tumor or what happens? To them?
2: Right. So the viruses move on. They hijack the cell. They make particles. They infect more cells, obviously, through letic replication. However, sometimes bits of the insert are still there and that can transform the cells. Again, you know, in the lab, if you wanted to, you know, make a cell line, you would take cells, uh, primary cells, and you would give it a, you know, use something like SV, like SV40 or Epstein-Barr virus, um, classically it was done with Epstein-Barr virus, and you would infect the cells with Epstein-Barr virus. And you would usually have some sort of selection in, you know, in the viral strain and on the plasmid and then you would give it something like puramycin, right? So you would infect the cells, let them rest, and then you would give them puramycin. So all the cells didn't pick up the, uh, the epstein bar with the puramycin signature. be wiped out. And so now you have an immortalized cell line. So a cell line is a cancer. It's then used for cellular study. Kind of the classical one for this is like HeLa cells. This was a cervical cancer from a woman named Henrietta Lack. And it's one of the oldest cell lines, but it was, but I believe HeLa was transformed. I believe I'd have to check the virus, but again, you can get cancer kind of through, kind of just through DNA damage and DNA repair or genetic damage. And so in my particular instance, I work on viruses. (laughs) And so there are also viruses that also kill cancer cells as well. And they, you know, those are, those are available. People are talking about using synthetic biology to actually use viruses to kill cancer because they're specific to specific cancers. Uh, but there's viruses that kill uh, kill cancer and there's viruses that cr- potentially create cancer.
1: So what happens to, uh, you know, again, someone gets infected, now they have a viral cause cancer, they begin developing a tumor. Does the virus kind of, you know, is this the end of the line for the virus? Does it tend to stay resident in the body or is it? uh...
2: Well, bits of the virus can stay resident. The virus itself can also move on and infect new things uh, or the immune system wipes it out. But the damage could be done to where the immune system gets it or keeps it at bay. But the, you know, the damage caused by the virus inserting itself randomly can create tumors.
1: How long is the virus acting to continue to create tumor mass or does it you know, is there is there a name for the time period in which, you know, viral activity is actively causing a tumor and then at, at a point where, let's say, viral acti- activity diminishes or stops and now the tumor kind of has a life of its own? And if so, like, phenotypically, is there a difference between those two regimes?
0: If you like this podcast, please click the link in the description to subscribe and review us on iTunes.
2: You know, I, that's a good question. I, in the case of something like Epstein-Barr, we assume that around 200,000 cancer cases per year are thought to be attributed to Epstein-Barr. And, it you know, during adolescence, it's really common for Ep- uh, to get infectious mononucleosis uh, through Epstein-Barr. And one of the most commonly studied uh, cancer viruses, cancer-causing viruses or oncoviruses. So I think you can either have the particle or the virus kind of sitting around. Uh, that can happen it's uh, most of the time it 's suppressed or destroyed by the immune system, and then the transformation that the virus causes upon the cell actually causes you know causes, it has its life its own the cell goes on and becomes a tumor
1: yeah I mean again, from what I understand, the virus would infect the cells, and then the primary you know activity of the cell is to make more viruses but now there 's a new job, I guess for lack of a better word, is to proliferate and just continue as a, as a cancer so Right. Is there a conflict between those two cellular goals, if you can call it such a thing? And has anyone been able to observe the dynamic between those two activities?
2: Not to my knowledge. I assume that, you know, most, most of these things get either suppressed or they become latent, the viral infection. And then, the can't, you know, it's not in the best interest of the virus necessarily to cause cancer. It, you know, the virus just wants to replicate. I think it is, it is random in that it just inserts itself. And uh, in order to make more virus, and then in doing that, it transforms the cell kind of by accident. And then the cell moves on to become tumors of cancer, whereas that doesn't really, doesn't really, I don't think it affects the virus.
1: Yeah, it's just weird. It seems like, like I said, two conflicting activities, the cell can only do so much. You know, I would also think again, during an active infection period, there's a driver of this tumor genesis, you know, the virus unintentionally caused by the virus. And then once the virus subsides or goes latent or whatever happens, now that driver is no longer there. I just, I, I guess, the body is still not able to, you know, recruit the immune system now that a mass of cells have become cancerous to fight it. It kind of takes on a life. I mean, that
2: time. is that is part of the thing. That's and that's part of the you kind know, of T cell regulatory parts is to go in and actually and you, a lot of the, you know these immunotherapies are really great because found that the T cells could recognize if, and really the biggest thing with cancer is recognition. You know, you have to be able to recognize it immune system has to recognize it and then the t-cells cytotoxic t-cells have to destroy right and then not kill the normal cell so it you know and a lot of that is has to do with like the crutch of the t-cells and they just get exhausted and so if you get rid of that crutch t-cells can then go out and you know do what they want to do which is seek and destroy pathogens and cancer is one of those so by having you know these immunotherapies are really great for that and even a you know, there was a trial the other day that potentially these mRNA-based vaccines might be used for cancer, actually.
1: So what happens to someone that has any type of cancer, whether viral caused or not, um, and then they get exposed to, you know, one of many different viruses? Are they more susceptible, less susceptible? Or, you know, other cases where the cancer confers some immunity to viruses that would normally sicken someone? I don't think
2: so. I don't think so in that case. I I think... You know, you have to go with the gene, genes and the genetic, you know, for example, if you were, were, you were born without P53, unlikely, I think it's a lost mutation, but if you were damaged to something like in DNA repair, and then you get infected by a virus, it would like, it is likely, it is probable that you could develop cancer. And so it's important. And, and then, and, or just regular damage through environmental exposure or genes, that's what makes cancer so challenging. Again, it's not, it's, you know, every different tissue can be transformed by cancer. And there's a multitude of viruses out there that can infect those various those various cell lines and uh, in the cells in your body, right? And, you know, if you have fantastic DNA repair, and if you have T cells uh, that don't get exhausted, or you can trigger the immune system uh, through vaccination or through therapy, immune therapy to actually recognize the cancer, we our, our immune systems can destroy it which is amazing.
1: So if someone has a uh, cancer, they don't, unfortunately they don't have any special ability to repel certain viral attacks. They're just, now they have cancer and uh, they're no better off than someone that doesn't.
2: I've not seen any evidence that suggests that if you had, ca- I mean, there's no evidence of that. Cancer cells are just as susceptible to viruses as, as healthy cells. And we can grow, we grow viruses and cancer cell lines.
1: Well, you, you did mention earlier though, that some viruses can target cancer cells. So What would happen if someone has liver cancer and then they get a a viral infection that normally targets the liver? You know, let's say hep C, they get it somehow after that. Um, Has anyone been able to observe what happens to the cancerous parts of the liver versus the non-cancerous parts uh, when an attack by hep
2: C occurs? Well, the thing is with with hep C, it's a, it's a latent and chronic disease, right? And so it's a chronic infection. It's a chronic inflammatory I- infection. And when then you have a chronic inflammatory infection, you're going to create DNA damage, right? And that's what drives the tumorigenesis, right? So I'm trying to take a look at these. So well, here's
1: why I say it. So a tumor is heterogeneous, so they'd have different you know, surface features on the cells, they would have probably a different localized microbiome, let's say in the colon, okay? So let's say I have I have colon cancer and then I get some kind of viral infection that would normally infect my colon. You know, the, the virus is floating around, but the membrane of the cancerous cells would look different than the membrane of the non-cancerous cells. And again, the microbiome that's localized around the cancerous cells would be different from the non-cancerous ones because I would think the metabolites would be different. So I wonder how the virus would affect Cells that have cancer in the colon versus ones that don't, because they again, they would be presented with a different, you know, membrane that they have to get through and different cell activity and everything.
2: So, I think the thing is, is that viruses, for the most part, are very specific to their tissue tropism or their receptor. Uh, and so, to get, again, so there's oncogenic viruses and then there's oncolytic. So, oncolytic meaning a virus that lyses cancer, so the anti cancer virus. So, a number of viruses have been suggested as uh, potential alkalytic agents. You know, adenovirus, uh, vaccinia, and even some of them have been genetically modified. There's an oncolytic adenovirus that was genetically modified. It was approved in China in two thousand five. There is an oncolytic herpes virus, which has been used well for melanoma. So we can, you know, virus can give it and they take it. So they can be used to they can be you can they can infect you and cause cancer. They could potentially be used to, to stop to stop cancer.
1: Is there any indication of um, you know, so someone gets a virus again that Would lead to cancer in them before they actually have an observable cancer. Versus after, are they more likely to infect someone else? Has anyone looked at, uh, you know, the the transmissibility of someone that's again that has a virus before? Well,
2: mononucleosis with Epstein Barr actually, you know, is quite infectious, and so we tell people to stay at home and quarantine when they're infected with Epstein Barr because it is. It mainly happens in children, and some of the symptoms are completely undistinguishable or are not are not noticed, for example. So we definitely try to keep people that are infected with something like FC bar home.
1: So someone that has a cancer causing virus is going to be effective depending on viral load, just like anyone else infected with a virus. There's really no mitigation, you know, the fact that it's going to lead to cancer in them or that it caused cancer in them versus, you know, a virus that doesn't cause cancer, but just makes someone sick. Like both types of viruses appear to be Equally uh, transmissible within their normal transmissibility parameters. Again, it
2: depends on the virus, right? And you could have a virus that normally wouldn't create cancer in a person, but under the under the genetic background or the circumstances could help to cause DNA damage and inflammation, which then could lead to.
1: Oh, yeah. Are there, so are there viral infections that don't normally lead to cancer, but occasionally they do?
2: They're, I mean, the ones we think about the mostly are the ones in the herpes and the retroviral family causing cancer because they actually insert themselves into the genome. And that when you insert yourself randomly into the genome, you can you can create cancer, you know, but they're to the best of my knowledge. You know, anytime you have inflammation and DNA damage, you can generate uh, tumors. So. We have to be cognizant of that. And, you know, I think the best thing we can do, especially in this case of stuff like, you know, which has been wonderful for the human papillomavirus is that we can, you know, make vaccines. And if we make vaccines and antivirals and we can, you know, rid ourselves of these, for example, if you, you know, got rid of Epstein-Barr virus, you could potentially remove 200,000 cancer cases a year associated with Epstein-Barr just by removing one virus from circulation, right? So... And FC bar, you know, it's one of those ones where it may not just only cause, you know, cancer, it causes potentially, you know, chronic fatigue-like symptoms. And so I think, you know, we should be in the, I've said this before on the podcast, but we should be in the business of eradicating these things so we don't have to worry about it. And, you know, if we get rid, if we got everyone vaccinated with human papilloma virus vaccine, we would eliminate a lot of these cancers just by that vaccine alone. So that's a great thing. And if, you know, something like Gardasil can help protect us from these types of cancers. So,
1: yeah, it just makes all this even more complicated, unfortunately.
2: Well, that's what, makes. So, like I said, I started this podcast off with the that, that cancer is not just one disease, right? So it's estimated that HPV vaccines may present, prevent up to 70% of cervical cancer, 80% of anal cancer. of vaginal cancer and 40% of vulvar cancer. And it is shown more than 90% effective in HPV positive uh, original pharyngeal cancers. So this vaccine can really help prevent a variety, a whole class of cancers, everything from the cervix to the anal part of the colon, vaginal, vulvar, prevent general warts, which then in themselves can be transformed. So I think If we, you know, if we had a very good, I mean, it might be challenging to make a vaccine for Epstein-Barr or some of these herpes viruses, but I feel with the technology we have with the mRNA-based vaccines and potentially the idea that viruses are out there and we should build therapies for viruses, that if we got rid of these, we would, we would, you know, there'd be a lot of cancers that were just wiped off the map just by getting rid of the viruses that cause them. We still must always remember that, you know, cancer is a disease of the genome and that, you know, but we can get rid of a lot of them just by vaccinating
1: these viruses to uh, to extinction yeah it's just a, an even more complicated picture it's just it's like blurring the lines between you know viruses and cancers and it's have there been other so you know viruses obviously second people in many cases now we can see that they cause cancer in certain cases are there any other effects of viruses that i guess are rarely discussed or uh, unusual ones that uh, don't fall into those two
2: categories I mean, well, I mean, there's just normal viruses that just kill. Um, But I mean, beyond
1: that, beyond sickening, beyond killing and beyond cancer, are there other viral abilities that uh, I I have no clue what they would be, but figured I Well,
2: I mean, well, let's just go with the ones that I, uh, you know, that are kind of close to my heart are the bacteriophage, right? And it's kind of off topic, but, you know, uh, there might be bacteriophage. Uh, Just recently, there was a paper published in, I believe, Nature Communications, where they found 100... 89,000 brand new phage in the guts of people. And there might be phage that are protective. There is the one phage that they found correlated with protection of lethal amounts of alcohol and potentially involved in non-alcoholic fatty liver disease. And the presence of the phage protected the cells from lethal doses of alcohol. So maybe there are viruses in our virome the the phage, the ones that kill bacteria, or even parts of our normal human, uh, normal virome that protect us, uh, from some of these viruses. And there might be as well evidence of competition, right? Where you have multiple viruses trying to affect the cell at the same time and one blocks the other, uh, that is completely unknown. The thought is, is could viruses trigger other autoimmune uh, dysfunction? Probably, probably we haven't found all of them, obviously, but you know, I, I like to think of there might be parts of the, you know, virome, you know, that infect, our cells that really don't kill our cells that may protect us from disease, both infection through something like the phage that lyses bacteria, or just for some reason, the presence of the phage protects you from other inflammatory disease, but that is still an ongoing topic. And so there might be, there might be phage that if you have them in the colon for example uh you don't get inflammation because the microbe the microbe that causes the inflammation is wiped out or kept at a low population and then you don't get the free radicals which then can damage that, that then would damage dna and cause cancer so you know. it's weird
1: it's like an epimicrobiome. microbiome i wonder if certain bacteria in the microbiome it's not their presence but it's the phage associated with them's presence that actually can be beneficial for you wouldn't that be cool
2: yeah, it, you know, it's it's an ongoing, that's why I look at phage, right? Because they are they seem to be part of a microbial shield that potentially protect us from both pathogen. And uh, maybe, maybe down the road, we'll find an example of one that protects you from, you know, free radicals, which then could prevent uh, a cancer. We don't know. I wouldn't be surprised, but we haven't found evidence of it yet. So
1: yeah, one thing I want to ask you, you talked about um, viruses that in particular would be targeted to affect cancer cells. So what what does the research there look like? What the oncolytic observed?
2: viruses. So there's been at least, you know, on six different oncolytic viruses: uh, adenovirus, renovirus, uh, measles, herpes simplex, Newcastle and vaccinia. These are kind of the, and so there's accumulating data to uh, kind of go after and see if they're safe and it might be a well-tolerated approach. Uh, it is just very, you know, there was a really brilliant TED talk on a guy who wants to use synthetic biology and targeted therapy uh, so you'd basically make an oncolytic virus per each person for their tumor, and then you would have kind of a kind of a crowd sharing or a kind of, you know, individual, you know, kind of GoFundMe for that person, and then you would raise money, and then you would build a therapy specifically for that person, and then you would use a virus to eliminate their cancer. So that is a thought. You know, immune therapy would be another way to go is not let, using a virus necessarily kill the cancer but to kind of go and infect the tumor cells and then have like a big old molecule on the surface of the, of the tumor. And then that would help trigger cytotoxic T cells. So you don't necessarily have to use the virus to kill it. Uh, you could use the virus to go in and infect the tumor tumor cells and allow, and for allow the immune system then to recognize it or eradicate it. So that's another potential approach, right? And again, cancer hides it, you know, the cells in the body, the T cells and the, you know, don't want to, kill healthy cells. Right. And so we can, you know, figure out a way to get those natural killer cells and those cytotoxic T cells to, you know, say, Hey, kill this guy, not this guy. We could eliminate some of these cancers.
1: Yeah. How, how does one create a viral vector or a virus itself that would target tumor cells of a given tissue type and not the healthy cells?
2: That's a good question. It's a little, uh, I've never done it. It's a little bit outside my bandwidth, but there are, you know, trials um where they you know some of these viruses do them on their on their own where they're just for some reason they like the tumor cells better the other ones they're modified to where the virus you know it changes a receptor or it's evolved to change the receptor but it would be similar to what we do in synthetic biology where we have a genome generate it we use cells to generate the particles and then we use those cells to then uh, those those virions to then go out and kill the tumor
1: okay so what um I don't know. I know there's you know, you can't know everything, but so what are some of the upcoming therapies that maybe you're aware of that are promising for these kind of cancers?
2: Uh I you know, I like the idea of using viruses to recognize the tumor cells. One of the ones that I know, this VSV, uh so vascular stomatis virus, it's a rhabdovirus. It's been potentially used as an as a way to go in and kill tumor cells. It is Thought that it could maybe even go after these kind of inoperable brain tumors. So you know, I've even I've even seen stuff like CMV thought talked about, or uh, for salicy virus, or you know, I think the the sky's the limit. We just have to be careful when we do this that we're targeting the right cells, right? I, and that's where I think it might be better to have a virus not even lice the cells, but have it go and you know infect the target tissue um, and actually not be replicative, but make proteins on the surface and then the that would use the immune system would then know to recognize it so that's the idea of kind of using not necessarily a viral carrier but using like an mrna uh from a virus that would then infect that would be you know only only targeted against a tumor and then that bit of our mrna would be would be sucked up by the tumor cell it would make a bunch of protein and then the t cells would then go in and destroy that tumor
1: okay well very good rich what's the best way for people to find out more
2: about your work you know, at raw and then also. Yeah. yeah so, yeah. So you can definitely Google me. Uh, it's Richard Allen White, the uh, third. The other one is raw lab.org for uh, my UNCC hat. And then for my company's hat uh, it is raw molecular systems.com.
1: Okay. Well, very good. Well, Rich, thanks for coming back. It's always good to talk to you. I appreciate
2: it. Always, always great to talk to you as well.
0: If you like this podcast, please click the link in the description to subscribe and review us on iTunes.